2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the markets and the Fed. Are the two back on the same page again? And if so, what does it mean to stocks and your money in the months ahead? We debate that with the investment committee. We also have some brand new buys from our own Josh Brown today. We're going to get to those in a little bit. Joining me for the hour today, the aforementioned Josh Brown, Jason Snipe, Jenny Harrington's with me on set. Also with us today, CNBC uh, senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. So we're going to get to the markets and we're going to dive in heavily in just a minute. I do want to send it over to our own Shepard Smith, though, first for an update on the health of Queen Elizabeth.
3: Shep. Scott, good afternoon. We got word just about two hours before the markets opened this morning that the queen's doctors were concerned for her health, the 96-year-old right now at Balmoral Castle, where she's been spending summers for the better part of her life, she's not hospitalized, but Buckingham Palace released this statement. Following further evaluation this morning, the queen's doctors are concerned for Her Majesty's health and have recommended she remain under medical supervision. The queen remains comfortable at Balmoral. As we've reported, that statement, remains comfortable at Balmoral, is a break from anything we've heard from the of the queen from the palace. This language is seen as significant. In recent months, the palace has said really as little as possible. The heir to the throne, Prince Charles, is now with his mother. Last hour, a flight arrived at Aberdeenshire Airport in Scotland with Prince William, Prince Andrew, Prince Edward and Sophie, the Countess of Wessex. The Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, reports Sky News, is traveling separately by car and is en route to Balmoral now. His wife, Meghan Markle, Sky reports, is not scheduled to travel, though Sky notes that could change. BBC reports well-wishers are gathered in the rain at the gates of Balmoral, as well as outside Buckingham Palace in London. Just yesterday, the queen pulled out of a virtual meeting after her doctor advised her she needed rest, according to the palace. The day before, on Tuesday... The Queen had welcomed the new Prime Minister, Liz Truss. Ms. Truss has tweeted this morning, the whole country will be deeply concerned and that her thoughts and prayers are with the Queen and her family. Same for the Archbishop of Canterbury and First Ministers of Scotland and Wales. The royal biographer, Robert Hardman, notes the importance of the Queen to the country, saying to the BBC today, she is unlike any other monarch in British history. She's our longest reigning monarch. She stands for constancy a sense of permanence and stability. He said over the years, people have probably taken her for granted often. Suddenly, he says, at times like this, we all realize how precious she is. Sky News reports the queen was in what Sky calls a jovial mood and in good form earlier this week. In recent weeks, Sky News reports she's been spotted picnicking with her lady-in-waiting as well as walking her beloved corgis. Now, at this hour, 5 p.m., British summertime in Scotland. As the rain falls, the queen is reported to be resting comfortably. Members of her family at her side at Balmoral. Updates throughout the afternoon on CNBC. For now, Scott, back to you. All right, Shepard
2: Smith, thank you. We'll come back to you as needed. Uh, Let's turn our attention to the markets where we're trying to hang on to positive territory, though as I look now we've uh, just dipped back negative uh, across the board for the major averages. We can see it on the screen here. The Dow is down by some 20 points. uh, S&P is flat. But again, the markets have been reacting all morning long to the uh, comments today made by Fed Chair uh, Powell uh, with Cato. Fed will remain at it until the job is done, said the Fed chair. History cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy, Uh, he said. Uh, Jenny, I'll turn to you first because you're right here in front of me. Um, Mike Santoli said this morning, uh, quote, the market feels like it's back in tune with the Fed again. Seventy five basis points is not scaring it. Is that how we should be thinking about the market today? I think
4: so. Remember about three weeks ago we were talking about this and it was maybe a weekend change ahead of Jackson Hole. And what we were talking about is that Jerome Powell is the master of paving the way. And what he was clearly doing then was paving the way for it to potentially be 75 basis points, maybe 50, but all the Fed governors were out and they were starting to pave the way, too. And so here we are. We're coming up on September 21st. And lo and behold, it's probably going to be 75. And what we were talking about back then was it's going to be rough in the interim as people kind of have their little existential crisis. Oh, my God, it's going to be 75. It's going to be 50. You know what it's going to be. But his goal, I believe, is that by the time he gets us to that moment where he raises, we're ready for it. And I think that that setting expectations, and this is where we were talking about Investing is a reflection of life. Everybody likes to know what's coming to them. And they like to know what they're gonna have on the moment that it gets there. Maybe except for presents at your birthday, right? Um, That's fun to have a surprise. But for the most part, we don't want surprises. And that's what he's done. So I actually didn't think that we were out of sync with him for the past few months. I thought we were in sync. I think he's been doing exactly what I as a portfolio manager hope and expect him to do, which is act flexibly behave as a act as appropriate, be flexible, be data dependent. So everything I've heard is in line with what mm-hmm. I hope and expect from we, our Federal Reserve.
2: We, we may want to know um, the answers to the critical questions, as you suggest. The question is, can we handle the truth? <laughs> can the markets handle the truth? The Journal says I can handle the truth. leaning towards 75. Hatsias at Goldman Sachs says they've raised their forecast to 75. And Steve Leisman, if anybody's been listening to you of late, this should be no surprise.
5: It shouldn't be. And I I, I think maybe the market is focused a little bit on the wrong thing, which is 50 or 75 doesn't matter quite as much as the destination. And Mm -hmm. the destination, I keep hearing time and time again, is this 4 percent mark where the Fed needs to get to and will stay. Scott, I've written down a bunch of ways and you stop me when you get bored. You can do 25, 50, 75. You can do 50, 50, 50. You can do 75, 50, 25. Whatever you do, you add 150 to 230, and you get up near 380. Please check my math is correct. But that's really the point, and I think that's really the focus. And the Fed is a little bit contradictory in that, uh, as was just said, they are data-dependent, but they're data-dependent on the way to a defined destination. And that defined destination is to get to a restrictive policy. I think Powell was resolute today. Um, he talked about this idea of, you know, until the job is done, echoing what Brainerd said yesterday. And really, for several weeks now, if you've been listening, the Fed has been on the same page, which is why I told the folks on the 5 o'clock halftime show I was mad at them uh, after Jackson Hole, that they were surprised that Powell was so hawkish. I was like, look, Scott, we told you this was coming. Every single Fed person we interviewed in Jackson Hole, and for weeks ahead of that, was really saying the same thing. They need to get up to restrictive territory, and then they'll probably stay there for a bit. And however you adjust your portfolio, and I said yesterday, if you disagree with the Fed, I'll take your money. I sort of feel the same way today. You may have a different outlook on inflation and how it happens, but if you think inflation is going to go through a basic dynamic here, uh, you need to be prepared for the Fed to get to 4%. And, and the risk,
2: I guess, Jason Snipe, is this, scenario of higher for longer, where some just don't want to believe that that's going to be the case, that they're not going to be able to keep rates to go as high uh, or to keep them as high for as long as they want because of what's going to happen potentially to the economy. The, the market, to Jenny's point, may be, and to Santoli's point, may be, in their words, back in tune. That doesn't mean that the market is, is going to be able to hold at these levels right around 4,000 on the S&P.
1: Yes, yeah, Scott, I, I think that's an important point. You know, obviously, you know, the Fed commentary that we heard from Brainerd yesterday, the commentary that we heard uh, from Powell today, they're going to remain steadfast. You know, they're not going to take the brakes off uh, too early, and that's important. And I think this higher for longer theme or narrative that could potentially play on the market, yes, that could be challenging for growth areas of the market. Um, but for us, we've been, we've been defensive, as you know, for better part of this year, and, and more defensive, right? So I think areas like energy and healthcare can continue to remain, could do well in this environment. I think it's important to kind of look at quality in your portfolio and really manage through uh this environment because it's a different environment that we saw last year and and through the through the pandemic so i think it's it's important to kind of really maintain reassess a portfolio and and look to quality you know for opportunities going forward
2: josh this idea of of higher for longer is it fully appreciated by investors and if that is the case uh that the fed does take rates to around four percent if not more and keeps them there for longer than people expect what are the ramifications for stocks
0: well, I, I would start by saying I agree with what uh, Mr. Leisman had to say. The the debate of fifty or seventy five is like one of the most boring debates, quite frankly, because we know that in the end <laughs> they can't stop so long as so long as so long as CPI is an eight handle, it doesn't matter uh, it doesn't necessarily matter during which meeting they do how much if we have some sense of where things really have to get. So I think we could dispense with that whole game. Once Nick Timoreos at uh, the Wall Street Journal hits publish, the real game to play, not that it's a game, the real thing to pay attention to is the reaction of the market. Nick Timoreos is basically the Fed's mouthpiece at this point. There have been different reporters in different eras, but when he hits publish on 75, that's it. You could stop debating. But what was most interesting to me was the market's reaction. The market's reaction was 75 basis points don't scare us. And if, if I think back on my time on CNBC, it's 11 years now, maybe the thing that I'm most proud of that I've ever done, I, I've had stocks work and stocks get killed and I'm as fallible as anyone else. But what I tried to do during the pandemic was repeat this mantra, which was the news is definitely going to get worse. Its ability to shock us will definitely diminish. And that is exactly how we got through the pandemic era. And we would go from these breathless reports of how many deaths, how many uh, illnesses, et cetera, et cetera. And you would see the market on each report would be less and less volatile. And then there would be days where we would say, oh, 100,000 new infections and the Dow would go up 300. So that's human nature. It's probably why we've survived as a species for 100,000 years. We have that ability to get used to it. And I think in the case, obviously, what we're talking about now is is much less life threatening. But I think we we are we're in a situation where um, we understand what's coming and we've learned how to live with it. Steve Weiss, I mean,
2: Josh makes good points. I'm I'm thinking of, you know, to his direct point of, you know, we're able to get used to it. That's no more clear than what we discussed yesterday. This idea of getting used to the Fed always being there for you when you needed them. They're not there anymore when you need them. They're against you right now uh, as an investor because they need to be. And that really is the game that goes back to the old thing of don't fight the Fed and why people say it on ways up. There's a reason why your buddy David Tepper was as bullish as he was years ago, because he knew what was coming from the Fed. They put out their hand. In some cases, they put out buckets of money, and they said, we are your friend. And now they're taking it all away. And that's really the bottom yeah, I mean, line, isn't it, Steve? It,
6: it, it is. Uh, they are taking it away. But not only are they taking it away, they're, they're lining up against you. So I agree with jo- what Josh says, and it's the milkshake phenomenon. You love Chuck milkshakes. You have one every day. Eventually, you're not going to like it anymore, so you stop having that impact. But that's not what we're talking about here. In my view, the dialogue, the narrative is all wrong. The bulls are still trying to pick this one kernel of information, as they did yesterday with Mester, with Brainerd, and say, that's it. The Fed's going to pivot it some time.
7: Hey, Josh, you guys have the off again.
6: but but what they're losing focus of is what's going to happen to earnings and earnings going to come down. I spoke to a company today that's at the crossroads of of industry, both here and in Europe, and their earnings are going to come down, period, end of story. So if the S&P, if you're looking at what, you know, 200, as your earnings are you get a 17 multiple net i doubt it with interest rates still going higher so is 3400 where it stops it may but that's what nobody's talking about we didn't hear it in the show today we didn't hear it in the show yesterday really until you brought it out scott but that's what's going to drive it so valuations are still too high and this bull run has been a multiple expansion which shouldn't be happening so when you see multiple expansion on trough earnings, that's a different story. But we're not at Troth earnings yet, and that's why I'm still bearish.
4: Okay, so I wanna pick on two things that we've said. One is the Fed, I'm gonna say the Fed is not against us. Every night I make my son take his Zyrtec and his Flonase. I am not against him, even though he thinks I am. What the Fed's doing right now is delivering the medicine <laughs> that we need. You that's semantic
6: Jenny. What's it's that? semantic.
4: But it's, it's not semantic. semantic. The Fed isn't it is against it because Fed is the Fed saying is saying in the wants. short term, no the Fed's saying in the short term here's your medicine. The other thing is when you say the Fed gave us money and they're taking it all away, they are not taking it all away. They're taking some of it away. And that's something that I think people are losing sight of. All the money that was juiced up, it's not all coming out. Some huge part of it is going in. And then I want to get back to what Steve Leisman said, which is really important. So if Fed funds rates, we reach is 4%, 4%, right? What is the 10-year reach? I don't know, but let's call it 4% also. If we have Fed funds at 4, 10-year at somewhere around there, then what multiple are you willing to give the market? And Steve, I think your $200 of of earnings is way too low. Right now, estimates are still about 240-ish for next year. Credit Suisse just put something out net last week saying, this week actually, saying, okay, we expect 210 of earnings. Goldman's still saying that they think earnings are gonna hold up. Let's split the difference and say earnings for next year end up around 230. Let's say with a 4% Fed funds no, rate, I am comfortable, hang on, follow my math for a sec. I'm comfortable saying with a 4% Fed funds rate, I think we should give it 16 and a half times because that's less than what we've been giving the market. But this is where it's all art and not science. But let's say I'm comfortable paying 16 and a half Times. 16 and a half times 230 is 3750 on the market yeah that's down a bit from here but it is not catastrophic and this is where I think we need to get away from the unless examines.
2: unless you have fuzzy math I mean unless and, and, you oh, have exactly. all fuzzy math un- unless but unless, and, and, and unless, so unless the other thing
6: is she's well, talking about She's talking about benign medications. I'm talking about chemo. I'm talking about your hair falling out. I'm talking about your vomiting, I'm talking about you're being you're really. really nauseous. Extreme. That's the medicine. It's not extreme. You're taking okay, four and a if- half trillion. Jenny, I let you talk, let me talk. you're taking four and a half trillion out of the Fed balance sheet. You're tightening it. They may not be lined up against you as a person, but they're lined up against the economy. They've said that. They said there's going to be pain. So you're you in the very term term world that it's not going to hit earnings, but it's going to because hey, that's what they're going to do.
2: Hey, Leisman, um, do, do you think that you think that people are, are finally coming to grips with this higher for longer notion? And look, other people have raised this issue that. The Fed made its own bed of lack of trust and lack of credibility, which is why some continue to doubt what they say, why they doubt their forecast, why they doubt yeah. their, their mission and message and that they'll be able to get there because they haven't proven that they have, I don't know, it's more than the, the wherewithal to, to actually do it, but the ability to even see the place that they're going to.
5: I think it's an interesting point. I just need to say two things to Jenny. J- Jenny, when you're talking about a Steve, I'd appreciate if you'd be pretty clear about which Steve you're criticizing, because I don't want to be on the obvious, wrong Steve side Lee. of that. Well, it's obvious, If I can <laughs> help it, yeah. No, I know, I know. I just there was a moment of, of that. I was a little concerned for a moment that you've been, show, you're young, been on this show. You've been on this show long mm,
2: enough that you know when somebody says Steve <laughs> <laughs> and start yelling at
5: him, it's Not wife. You. <laughs> it's, <laughs> wife. <laughs> it's wife. <laughs> <laughs> Poor wife. Okay. <laughs> all right that be that being the case i think what jenny just did scott is sort of an answer to your question jenny just did the multiple with a four percent handle on the 10-year a four percent handle on the funds rate that's the kind of i think base case scenario you need to do the math and then pick a multiple 16 and a half is it 17 is it 15 um and then you sort of get your downside possibility here and that i think has crept into the market Guys like Tepper, uh, Scott, they got it a long time ago. They started seeing this. Now, of course, there is a worst-case scenario than the 4%. There is 5%, which is out there among some economists. And then there's a a better scenario, which if you pick through Brainerd's – uh speech yesterday you can find a better scenario a scenario where supply chain stuff lifts where profit margins come down a little bit that's not good for investment but good for inflation they provide some relief from inflation and you get some relief from what's happening of course overseas it's well to remember by the way something we don't talk i think enough about right now scott Europe's a mess, Mm -hmm. China's a mess. Those are the downside risks that are out there. I don't see the Fed as being a major downside risk. And yeah, the Fed uh, uh, was late to the game. Do you know, Scott, that in March of 2022, interest rates were zero? I, I went back and looked at that. I'm like... When was it? it was zero just in March. So here we are talking about 4%. It has been a rapid rise. The Fed made its bed a bit. It's really trying to climb out and make that bed uh, as fast as it possibly can, which is why you have these 75s. One more very quick point. Um, before you ink in the 75, we're going to want to see next week's CPI report. Oh, for sure. Which I think we're going to get from California next week, Scott. For sure. And that has a possibility of 50. But the important point is, getting out to what Josh Brown was saying, is that If they do 50 now, and you can still bet on the four. So I wouldn't take that as a sign the Fed is not going quite as high. It just might take a little bit longer to
2: get there. The the other uh, thing to pick at is this conversation about multiples. Mm -hmm. Multiples don't matter. Who cares what the multiple is if you don't know what the earnings are? And that's the biggest question in the market, which our next guest, our headliner today, Chris Toomey, with Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management, has big opinions on because he says his base case for uh, this year's earnings are 220. Uh, that's below where many others are. His base case for next year is 212. That's below when, where many others are. His base case for 2024, below where many others are. And you've been negative. So you've been consistent and doesn't sound like you're ready to change in any way.
8: No. No, and thanks for having me. I think um, the problem, I think, with some of this commentary that we're discussing is I think if you look at the sell off in the market, it was obviously triggered by inflation, but then you saw interest rates pop up and you had that margin compression or the multiple compression within the market that happened. I think if we continue to see rates go up to that 4% level and then we get what we're expecting with regards to the earnings side, you're going to see that earnings risk premiums get out of whack again and you're going to have a situation where the market has to come down, right? And so what was going to cause this, right? And I think the thing is is what's driving this, it's tech, right? So tech has been the driver for the last 12 months when the market rallied this summer, the catalyst was tech moving back down. So what does rates going higher mean for tech? Well, I think on a on a on just a basic valuation standpoint, you know, people look at it as a long duration asset. If rates continue to go higher, you have to discount that even more. So that's going to affect tech. And then if you get a situation which I don't think people are spending too much time talking about which is the dollar, what does that mean for big tech companies if the dollar continues to rise based on the fact that the Fed continues to be hawkish? If you look at ECB just raised rates 75 basis points, but if you look at what's what's the dollar done this year and you look at it in comparison to countries like Japan which have been delayed with regards to raising rates, the dollar is going to remain strong. What does that mean for tech earnings? That's going to hurt tech earnings and so in my mind if you have a bearish view on the market you have to you have to have a view with regards to tech it's hard to say i don't want to own a company that has a hundred billion dollars of cash on its balance sheet but if you look at history and you look at what the market is doing it's really driven by tech and i don't think the fed having this hawkish tone is going to be helpful whether it's with regards to valuation or earnings with regards to tech.
2: One of, one of your principal points, though, in where the markets are and where they're going is the bear market can't end until earnings come down. Right. And, and as 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 long as people are stubborn to take the, the numbers down or until they just come down because the revisions take them where, where they are, uh, We're going to spin our wheels in this this place. We're certainly not at the at the end of what has been a bear market.
8: No, no. And I think, you know, if you if you look at it, you just kind of see this domino effect with regards to strategists following each other and ratcheting their earnings down. I think everybody was expecting earnings in the second quarter to be poor. And I think they were relieved when they saw that they on 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 broad numbers looked like they were okay but to go back to weiss's point yesterday all of that was driven by energy right and that's kind of a once in a lifetime situation right if you look at the rest of the sectors and the sectors that really matter within the s p and the nasdaq it's technology it's consumer discretionary it's just all these sectors which aren't really growing that much and i think if you look at the data over this time period, it's only getting worse you know whether it's the fed whether it's earnings whether it's geopolitical issues you know I think one thing you know we focused in on is the rise in energy but you know energy is off about 25% from the highs but it has nothing to do with new supply coming online it's completely based upon concern around demand based upon the fact that people are now really concerned about the global recession coming into play. They are. So what does that do to market multiples? So
2: I've made this point the last several days in in having conversations with people who are bearish. Um, It's hard to push back against it. You can make very credible arguments that back up everything that you say, which which seem overwhelmingly base case scenario. So I totally get it for somebody who says that they've moved from building cash to hedging to now raising cash. But if there was a raging bull here and there are some, they would say, but look at inflation, Chris. Inflation is cratering in in many respects. Now, it may be sticky in others, which it is, of course. But what if it does really start to crater in the next few months? Doesn't that have the potential to change the Fed's game?
8: I really don't think so. I mean, I think if you look at it, obviously energy prices have come down a fair amount, but the two main drivers with regards to margins are going to be labor costs and energy. In my mind, you look at the situation in Europe with regards to Nord Stream, that's not getting resolved. You look at the situation within the U.S., about 20 percent of our energy supply comes from renewables. The rest is coming from fossil fuels. To go back and look at history, you know when Ronald Reagan was in president he you know we releasing about 47 acres of federal lands for fossil fuels and 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 the Biden administration's done about 126,000 acres so we're not necessarily solving this and then if you look at the strategic petroleum reserve we're at levels we haven't seen since 1984. So whether you look at it as margin compressions with regards to labor costs and energy costs, if you look at it as based upon the stronger dollar, all of these things are going to affect uh, U.S. companies' earnings, right? And I think the fact of the matter is, is that this is the point that you made and that Steve made. You know, if, if we're benefiting with regards to the Fed blowing its its balance sheet up to $9 trillion and we're just starting to normalize it from $9 trillion down to $4.5 trillion, You know, this has to work both ways. Right. You know, we can benefit it from on the way up. But as that as that balance sheet shrinks, it's going to affect the market. Right. So it's going to have to affect these technology companies, which is also going to affect the underlining uh, price action within um, U.S. equity markets.
2: Seems to be a reasonable thought. Right. If you don't if you don't fight it on the way up, why act like you're fighting it on the way down? But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Chris, I appreciate the time very much. We'll see you again. That's Chris Thanks, Tumi, uh, joining us. Leisman, just wrap this up for me. This this notion, is there any chance that Powell next week Fed meeting gets to the point where he he, if not says it explicitly, he makes it he makes the point or the market gets the point that two percent is not necessarily the goal r- right now, that they would tolerate getting inflation down to three,
5: four percent. Any chance of that? So there, there's no chance for two reasons, Scott. First of all, the meeting's in two weeks, so two it weeks. wouldn't happen next week. Okay, and second, there's no chance of it happening in two weeks because um, because it's just not going to happen, Scott. Uh, the Fed is not going to move off that target, not when there has been a discussion at this table and other places about the Fed's credibility, because I can't think of anything that would undermine the Fed's credibility more than moving to a different target. The Fed may quietly be satisfied with an inflation rate that is above 2% in the two and a half, I don't know, if it was two eight, I don't think the Fed would burn down the barn in order to, you know, uh, uh, save the rest of the farm there, so to speak. But but um, uh, it will not change its target. Yeah. Yeah. Anything with a two-handle would be, a, you know, uh, of
2: course. All right, Steve, thank you. That's Steve Leisman yeah. with the uh, calendar Thanks. correction and everything. We appreciate it. You handle everything for us. We'll talk to you soon. Up next, Josh Brown.
7: helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. That is LinkedIn.com slash report for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to LinkedIn.com slash report and get started. All
2: right, we're back. Let's do these two new buys from Josh Brown out of the energy patch, which has been a topic of conversation of late. Josh Brown, uh, number one, Next
0: Era Energy. Why? Uh, Next Era is a really fascinating company. What uh, initially got me interested as usual are the technicals. Why is this stock acting so well? It's actually on the verge of a major breakout. I'm breaking one of my own rules. Normally I would wait. 93 is the trigger here. Above 93 there were no sellers because nobody owns it. Uh, above that level there's nobody waiting to get back to even or whatever that's where those that's where those resistance levels historically come from this is uh... is about nine months in the making this breakout if and when it happens but it's a utility but what's really interesting about it is this used to be known as florida power and light this is the the big regulated utility in florida It is still that company it changed the name to Next Era a decade ago when they started to get into renewables. The renewables business is absolutely on fire. They've got projects going on in dozens of states where they're going in, they're building made to order solar or wind, selling that transmission to the customer and just absolutely crushing it. Morgan Stanley upgraded the stock this week, talking about it is one of the biggest beneficiaries of the Inflation Reduction Act because of all the the money set aside, $370 billion for uh, climate. So this is a company that's just got an overflowing backlog. Earnings should be solid. You get a little bit of a dividend yield here, nothing crazy for a utility, um, but the fact that they've got both offense and defense under one ticker symbol is very attractive and I think it'll ultimately take out that 93 level and have a true breakout. So that's the story with okay. Next era. Southwest Gas is number two. You playing a little Icon action here? Uh, I think Carl Icon's a genius. Uh, I think he's on Mount Rushmore, for me at least, uh, as an investor. And what he's doing here, I think, is is going to work. So he's already gotten the CEO kicked out. He's now the third largest shareholder. In his last 13F filing, Icon Enterprises actually bought more, or Icon LP bought more uh, of this company. So he's right behind two index funds. He's got three board seats. He's in line to get a fourth. There are three units within this business. Uh, Southwest Gas used to be a sleepy utility. Then they went out and overpaid for a pipeline. The pipeline actually was probably a smarter deal now in hindsight, but I think that's something that could get sold or spun off. And then there's a third business where they're doing uh, work for other utilities on the infrastructure side, and that is a name. That is a a part of the business that they have talked about spinning off Centuri into its own uh, publicly traded company. There are so many different ways to win here, and I think there's a floor beneath the stock. Carl Icahn tried to buy the whole company for 75, and and was rebuffed. So at 81, I don't think I have a lot of risk here. The upside, they start doing sales or spinoffs, and I'm getting paid a 3% dividend while I wait. Uh, So I like this situation uh, from a risk-reward standpoint. The reward could be huge if and when they give in and let Carl Icahn start to create value for shareholders. So um, it's a utility. Uh, It's not the most exciting thing on earth, but I think I'm going to I think I'm going to win here. All right. We're seeing shares move higher here. Uh, Josh is not done, by the way. He's also adding
2: to one of his positions. We'll give you the reveal next.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
2: We're back. Let's go through another move from Josh Brown today. Bought more Uber on strength, JB. And and therefore so clearly... Yeah, uh,
0: so Uber... Uber to me is a really interesting technical setup. This stock has not been above its 200-day uh, moving average. You have to go back to uh, you have to go back to the summer of 21. It's actually been in a downtrend since January of 21. Now it is threatening that 200-day moving average, which I think would be uh, the first in a series of technical catalysts here. From a fundamental standpoint, I would urge everybody to listen to the conference call from the first week of August. And you'll notice that in the recent sell-off of high-growth tech, Uber gave nothing back. The buyers who came in and, and, and gapped this stock higher that morning are still there and accumulating. So uh, I really like what's going on here fundamentally. They have turned this business. It is now free cash flow positive. They had nothing but good things to say about the outlook for both mobility and for EATS. A lot of their competitors in those businesses are backing down or fading away, and they are gaining in strength. They've sold off a lot of non-core assets that never made any sense, and I think they have this company to the point where people can start appreciating it for the actual fundamentals, not just for the growth. And by the way, the growth is enormous. Uh, Still adding users, still adding rides, still adding deliveries, month-over-month growth like very few companies have. So I'm bullish on both the technical setup And the fundamentals of the business um and i urge people to if they're interested in the stock don't just buy it because i say so um because i've been wrong in this thing before go listen to dara for yourself and ask yourself does that sound like a management team that is not completely confident in what's happening on the ground Mm. jenny's got your back though you can listen to jenny right you on the stock
4: I mean, I think people should listen to me. Yeah, we bought this in June, around $22 a share. And I think what's interesting here is frequently we want to be early and we don't mind being patient. Um, when we sifted through the TechRack stocks back in June, we looked at everything like Zoom, DocuSign, Peloton, all of them. And the only one that we thought was really compelling was Uber for exactly the reasons Josh stated. We didn't think that we were going to be rewarded so quickly, but we didn't mind sitting back. And it goes to that Buffett wisdom where he says, look, you know, if you know a company and you know it's great and you know it's going to be profitable. Just tune out the noise of the market. Just own it and know that in the long term you're going to be fine. So yeah, Josh, I've got your back on that
2: one. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Uh, Jason Snipe, you have a new one
1: too. C- cool.
2: CVS, right?
1: I do. I do. Yeah. We just uh, we bought it this week. You know, I really like this Signify deal. I think the acquisition of a home healthcare business with an aging demographic is is strong and will be great for enterprise. I mean. From an accretive standpoint, it will be, it'll be good for adjusted EPS, you know, 13 percent free cash flow yield, 2 percent dividend yield. Great for this environment. So we added CVS uh, to the portfolio this week. All right. Good to hear that. That's Jason Snipe. Up next, a bullish call on some of the big chip makers,
2: well, some of them, the committee debating those trades straight ahead. Got some initiations today on the yeah, semi-space. I just got, I just got, AMD off. initiated uh, a buy. Intel and NVIDIA both hold. We've made them our call today. the day. Let's do um, Intel first, okay? Jenny, um, you're just going to hold on here? Yeah. And hope, I, and hope for the best?
4: Well, this is... Okay, you know how... Because a new, the new 52... Fuzzy math
2: forgive me, I'm sorry. New 52-week low oh, yeah. today... Um, and lows not seen since May of 2016. Sorry to, to interrupt you there. I just wanted to get that out there.
4: No, and that's important. But actually, it brings up a really important point, which is every day as a portfolio manager, you need to look at what's in your portfolio, and you need to say, what's the opportunity cost of holding this? Both upside and downside. And you need to say, would I buy this here today? And so just because, and I get this from clients a lot, where they say, well, it's down 40%. Shouldn't you sell it? Absolutely not. I should say at $30 a share, what is the upside potential from here? And if the upside potential from there, from here is more than I can find in other stocks, then I want to own it. You're and telling me
2: that in, you can find more upside in this than you can find in other stocks well, from here at $30? bucks. go back
4: let's go back to the patients that I just talked about on Uber and being early. And I think that this is, if we look at the whole initiation or the whole report, we've got AMD, where that assumption on AMD as, as a buy is that AMD will continue to take Intel's market share indefinitely. I am going to bet that, a, that Intel will fight back and will get back to reasonable earnings. Um, the assumption on NVIDIA is that 37 times earnings is fine. So with Intel, And by the way, this is one, like, two or less percent position in a portfolio. So am I willing to say yes? I think Intel has upside from here and it's meaningful and I'm comfortable continuing to hold it. At this point, the answer is yes. Because I think they do get back, even if it takes two or three years, Mm -hmm. to... um, to, you know five six bucks of earnings in that analyst report one of the things he says is that we'll be willing to upgrade it when the catalysts start to come in okay. I want to be early to those catalysts because I believe the shares will move in advance
2: okay Steve Weiss um you've been in and out of some chip names none right now and, and you have been short the SMH too just update us on where this currently stands because it frankly can change a lot well I don't hear Weiss we'll try and get him back as uh, yeah, okay. obviously. Scarlet. Uh, Oh, wait, I do. Got uh, you. Start over. Yeah.
6: Okay. I'm flat in the position right now. No position. Look, the way I look at NVIDIA, I still think it's expensive. Uh, If the company's earnings forecast, according to Steve Philanalyst, hit their target, they'll earn what they earned in 2021. So you're writing off 2022. Uh, I don't think a company like that deserves a multiple. That's twice what the market is. Uh, AMD, I like. Um, I don't own it yet. I think the CEO, Lisa Su, has done a phenomenal job remaking this company. I mean, this is one of the biggest jokes of the market for decades, and she's completely Mm -hmm. turned it around. And Intel, I just can't believe there are better opportunities out there The Intel. Nothing's been lived up to by the new CEO came with lots of pomp and circumstance. Right. And hasn't been able to put it together. So, so maybe he needs some Zyrtec. OK, I don't
2: know. Jason
6: snipe quickly on
2: NVIDIA hold. You own it. Um, One sixty five is 20 percent upside from here.
1: Yeah. So this is a definite hold for me. I mean, it's a core part of our portfolio. I mean, the, the license licensing. Um, you know so some of the stuff with the licensing and obviously some of the restrictions and the guy down and 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 obviously uh the report as of late the, the earnings report weren't great you know gaming revenue crypto mining a lot of these a lot of headwinds for the stock fx but i think going forward i mean just in terms from an innovation perspective i mm-hmm. just think they're so far ahead of a lot of their competitors so i think i think it's still worth owning
2: okay santoli's midday word is next Welcome back to the half senior markets commentator Mike Santoli. There he is from the New York Stock Exchange with his midday word. I led with what you said earlier today. Market seems to be on the same in the same place that the Fed is again.
9: Yes or the market thinks it is. Uh, We've seen it before where you've had to sort of reassess whether in fact. Uh, we do uh, have some harmony between where uh, the market is set up. And the fact- I do think you can certainly say in terms of pricing of actual rate moves, it's there. The uh, big question is, is even that much going to feel like too much? You have real yields that have been going up. So inflation expectations have been going down, nominal yields up. And that seems to be giving us a little bit of uh, uh, maybe back and forth action here today. Very indecisive. You know, yesterday's rally clearly was uh, greenlit by Treasury yields coming in, the dollar falling, oil coming down. And today it's a little more of a mixed picture. I I do say, though, uh, all the sentiment stuff and positioning news that keeps coming out suggests that it wouldn't take a a drop to the June lows to really generate those extremes that we got to back then. So that's a net positive that people are just not really feeling uh, the potential for upside right here.
2: The debate seems to be higher for longer or that inflation is going to roll enough that the Fed won't have to.
9: Yeah. I think higher for longer, if higher is 4% on the Fed funds rate, probably should be your premise. Uh, I do not think that you should doubt the Fed officials word when they feel as if that might be necessary uh, to sort of, I don't know, sort of uh, do enough or even more than enough. Uh, to make sure that expectations don't get out of hand. But everyone, and the Fed included, you know, Powell said this at the end of his remarks today, you have to be a bit humble about projecting ahead too far in this kind of environment because you look at the post-World War II spike in inflation, and it was just an absolute vertical move on both directions. I don't think, say you can assume we're going to have something similar, it's not out of the question.
2: Says one who's been humbled by his own projections and predictions I yes point even 12. if I yeah. oh I think you meant me no, well, no that's no, the no, case no. for me as well no. so <laughs> no 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 I was I was yeah. talking directly about the Fed chair himself never you wow. we'll see you for your last we're word we're that's Mike that camp. <laughs> <Yeah. Thanks. laughs> well, that's Mike Santoli coming up some fresh 52 week lows for some stocks in Jenny's portfolio we'll find out her strategy on them next all right we're back all right Jenny so let's talk Dow Verizon Warner Brothers Discovery all hitting new lows today you own all three
4: Oh, I thought we were talking about American Eagle.
2: No, we're talking about those.
4: Okay, so Dow, Verizon, Warner Brothers, I only own as a stub position and I've been using it as a, as a source of cash, I inherited as at and So that's not a high conviction or core portfolio holding. On Verizon and Dow, I think the thing on both of these is that you need to look at them almost as bond equivalents in the portfolio. The earnings growth is very little, but it's there over the next three years. The dividend growth is very little, but it's there over the next several years. So you have these big yields, you have these solid companies. In the case of Dow, well, actually in the case of both of them, you have significant commitment by management to the dividends. So for me, these are super long-term. Probably in 10 years, I'll be up on them. I don't mind just holding them and collecting the income.
2: Okay. You said American Eagle?
4: Yeah. So American Eagle cut- That's down
2: like 11%.
4: Yeah, it stinks. So American Eagle cut their- Sorry, they suspended their dividend last night and had a nasty quarter. When I originally bought this, my thesis was twofold. One was that at eight times earnings, the stock had already incorporated a ton of bad news. And two, that even if earnings were cut by 50%, management would stand behind that dividend because even down 50% on earnings, which is, by the way, where they are, the dividend's still well covered. That didn't happen. So that's the company specific part. By the way, over the past 18 hours, I've been through all five areas of of denial. what is it? Stages of grief with emphasis on anger, depression and acceptance.
2: Why not s- w- are you at selling?
4: I am not there. So here's where I am. So when I look at the company and Real I quick. say they have suspended the dividend, they may bring it back. I need right. to figure out when they're bringing it back. They have a history of suspending it occasionally and bringing it back. So I need to figure out that when they do, what level it will be at. Okay. Um, yeah. But it is like anything. It's like having an employee who goes bad. Okay. I have 30 other stocks. I may replace it. I may. we have
2: got to do final trades deal. next i got a good one coming up for uh, three hours from now in uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time overtime. Joe Taranova was with me. Stephanie Link, John Golub. Uh, we're going to talk about the market. Obviously uh, now the Fed chair has spoken and now he goes effectively silent until the Fed meeting in a couple of weeks. So we will see what the market does between now and then if it's really on the same page finally or once again with the Fed. I hope all of you will join me then. What's your final trade, Jenny?
4: My new buy from last week, mad at 6.4% yield, eight times earnings, little materials company with GDP, maybe GDP plus growth. Should be a nice place to hide out in this nasty market.
1: All right, Jason Snipe. I like ABD here, a uh, lot of demand for industrial gases, a lot of long-term projects still on the books. I like this chemical company here. Okay. Steven Weiss.
6: Mark cap Volkswagen is just over 90 billion, Porsche is being valued between 60 and ninety billion. So that leaves 30 billion for the stuff at the bottom line, which makes it half the valuation of GM and Ford much further along on EVs.
2: OK, good stuff. Uh, and finally, Josh Brown. IEO buying energy dips. All right. You and uh, many others. All right. That does it for us. I'll see you in just a few hours in overtime. See what the markets, if they can hang on to positive territory following the Fed chair. We'll discuss it then.